Well, amen. Thank you, Pastor. That's exciting news. And I know that uh, you are like uh, we are. Man, we're all excited for uh, the ability to kind of get back together. And so um, just uh, be praying with us. God will just give us wisdom as we move forward. Well, I'm excited uh, this weekend to share God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and get it out and lean into this message. I, I prayed really about what God would have us, uh, what God would say to us this weekend. And so I know that God's going to speak to you. We're going to pray in just a moment. Just ask God's fresh anointing upon this Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and get it out to Philippians chapter 1. We're reading a few verses from the first chapter of Philippians. Um, but before we pray, I was remembering back to um, my, my college days. And uh, when I went to college, especially as a freshman, I was uh, at a small Bible college uh, and uh, I was on the basketball team there at the college. And so as part of our pre-season uh, kind of like uh, training and we got to get in shape there before the season actually started. And so the very first thing that we were told to do is we were uh, told we were supposed to run five miles a day. Um, now I had never, I had never ran five miles a day um, at that time in my life. Um, the thought of running five miles a day was, was, you know, pretty scary. The thought of running five miles a day now would be like, like I get winded driving five miles a day. So the thought of like if somebody's wanting me to drive five miles or more, I got to really pray about it. Like I'm not sure if, if I can handle that, but thank you for the offer. Um, so the, the, so running five miles a, a day. Um, now it, for then it wasn't around a track though. It wasn't, what would that be? 20 times around a track. Um, because if it had been, I, I'm just being honest, I, I think I would have been tempted to quit. I would have been tempted to stop short if it was just 20 times around a track. And maybe my coach knew that that would be our temptation. And so instead of that, what we used to do is we used to run two and a half miles out this country road, out of town, out in a direction where there was nothing. Uh, and so we would run out and then you would run to a spot on the road that was spray painted as the halfway point. And I tell you what, when you would start to run out there, my eyes would be glued down to that halfway point because my greatest fear of all fears was to keep running and miss the halfway marker and just keep running out into the woods. That, that was a, a frightening thought for me. And so I would run and be looking for that halfway point. And here's the thing about that halfway point. When I would be running out there and I would get to the halfway point, I didn't have an option of quitting. Quitting was not even, it was not even a possibility because if I was going to quit, I'm just now stuck out in the woods. And so you'd run out to that spot, to that two and a half mile mark, and then you would turn around and you would run back to the campus. And I think because it was laid out that way, I had no option of quitting. And Paul is talking about that as it relates to uh, our Christian walk, our Christian life, this mindset, this attitude that says, I am not going to quit. I am in this thing all the way. I will see it all the way through. I'm going to find my finish line. I'm going to speak today on that topic, finding your finish line, finding the finish line. Will you pray with me as we get ready to look into God's word? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for each and every person that is taking part in this service. God, I pray your presence would permeate uh, their atmosphere right now in Jesus' name as we all invite you in. 
Lord, we want more than just a little talk right now. We want more than just to do our spiritual time clock. We're ready to hear from you. And so, God, speak to us, and we are ready to respond to your word. God, change us, challenge us in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that with me and you meant it, come on right there where you are. Say amen. 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 Well, Philippians chapter one, verse number three. Let's start there. We're going to read verses three through six and then verses nine through 11. This is what Paul says. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I kind of felt like uh, the Apostle Paul a little bit as I just thought about uh, all of you who call Faith Assembly your home church. I just kind of put myself in, in his shoes as he writes. I, I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then verse six, what a powerful verse, verse six is. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That he who began a good work in you, he is going to finish it. He is going to complete it. He who began in you is going to see you through the finish line. And you can look at this in really all different ways. Paul, of course, is talking about our Christian journey. Paul's talking about our life lived on this earth. And when, and when, we, breathe, when we breathe our final breath, we're going to stand before God and say, God, I did it. I, I finished the race. But we can even apply this to some of the some of the smaller races that take place within our life. We can apply it to different seasons of our life. This promise that he will complete what he starts in us. And so maybe that's a, a ministry idea that we have. If, if God started that in us, then he's going to see it through to completion. Maybe it's something going on in our work, an assignment we have. And we know that God is going to help us. God is going to complete what we start. Maybe it's a, a healing that God began into us. And, and somebody needs to claim that over your life, that he who began again work, a good work in you is faithful to complete it, to finish it. Uh, maybe it's an area of deliverance in, in, in some area of my life. Maybe it's a reconciliation with somebody that I have fallen out of relationship with. God is going to complete what he started and we've got to claim that for our life. And so Paul makes this uh, declarative statement about the finishing work of Jesus Christ but then he starts praying for the Philippian church. He says, God is going to finish it, but yet I still pray for you. And let's look at what he prayed. He said, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, even though Paul has this great confidence that God's a finisher, even though God, Paul has this great confidence that Jesus is going to help us find our finish line, and that confidence was really a, a, a perfect tense. It was like, I've already decided that this is going to happen, and I still believe this is going to happen. Uh, that's the kind of confidence Paul is talking about. But even though he has that confidence in God, he still prays for us. He still prays for the church because here's the truth. We have a part to play in our finishing the race. 
There is a responsibility on our end, too, that we find our finish line. Yes, we can put all complete confidence in God, that God is going to complete his part. But we, as followers of Christ, we still have to keep our eyes on the finish line. We still have to find our finish line. And that's what I just want to talk about for these next few minutes is finding our finish line. And the first thing that, that jumps out to me that I think is one of the, it's certainly one of the things that Paul prayed for the Philippian church. It's one of the things that we need to keep in the forefront of our vision is this. We need to have a love, a love that is abounding. It's really one of the keys to this confidence Paul had. It's really one of the ways that we will find our finish line if we have a love that's abounding, a love that's overflowing. Picture a cup and filling it up with water and then that water just starts to pour over. That's the kind of love Paul is talking about. And this is how he says it in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 1. We just read it. But he said this. He said, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. My prayer is that your love would abound and then it, as if that wasn't enough, because those words would be enough, that your love would abound. But he says that your love would abound more and more. And I want you to understand something about the Philippian church. It wasn't that they were not loving. Matter of fact, they had a reputation of being very loving. Matter of fact, they had a reputation of even being loving to a fault that sometimes motivated by this, uh, by this powerful love, they would even allow uh, some things to happen and put it in the name of love and maybe... Um, accept and tolerate and maybe even approve of, of certain things all in the name of love. And so they had a reputation of, of love. That was not the point. Paul was saying this, though, that even though you may, may have a reputation of love, that you may have that grace in your life to love, that is a grace that you can always see grow in your life. So even if you're a person who loves God, guess what? You can love God more. Even if you have a reputation of being a very loving person, maybe you're ooey gooey, lovey all the time. You know what? Paul would still pray for you and say, I want you to have even more love within you. And so here's a few questions to ask yourself as we think about our level of love, especially especially maybe as it pertains to uh, our, our walk with God and, and, and our love for God and our love for people. Here's just a few questions to ask yourself. And these should be, uh, I mean, I ask myself some questions like this fairly often. And, and here's, here's one of them. It would be this. Do I love God more today than I did yesterday? Do I love God more right now than I did in some other season of my life? And I'm not going to say that you're in sin. If you can remember a time and you think, oh man, maybe I did love God more then. I'm not going to say that you're guaranteed to go straight to hell. That's certainly not what I'm saying. But I'm saying this. If I can remember times when I loved God more than I do right now, I know this. I know I'm in a dangerous place. I know that I'm on a slippery slope. I know that that finish line is getting more and more blurry because I can think of times when I love God more than I do right now. Do you love God more today than you did yesterday? Another question to ask yourself would be this. Am I growing in my expression of love to God and to, to people, to the people in my life? Am I, am I growing in that expression of love? Another question we should often ask ourselves would be this. Does my definition of love include more than just emotions, more than just feelings, more than some 
current sentiment, more than, well, how my day went today, and so now my definition of love changes. Uh, no, this, this would have to be God's definition of love, which is really more about choosing to love than it is some feeling of love. I, uh, I heard about this amazing story that I, I wanted to share. Um, Jack Benny, who was a American performer, comedian, TV show, radio show, before my time, uh, I think probably mostly in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, um, but when he was a young man, he, he worked somewhere, and uh, there was a young lady that was at his uh, work, and she caught his attention. He thought she was beautiful, and he was kind of a shy young man, didn't really know uh, what to do about it, and so had the idea, and he went by a, a florist shop, and uh, he made an arrangement with the florist shop, and he said, hey, can you deliver one rose a day uh, to this young lady that's at my job site, and so they agreed to do so, and so a uh, young lady by the name of Mary, she receives her first rose with no name attached to it, uh, and she has no idea what's going on. Day two, she receives another rose. Day three, she receives another rose. Day four, she receives another rose. By now, the mystery is starting to get to her. And so, so she goes to the florist shop and she, sa she says, uh, can you please tell me, I've been getting rose, uh, one rose per day for four days. Can you please tell me uh, who is sending this to me? And they said, oh, well, that's uh, a guy by the name of Jack Benny. I think he might work with you. Do you know who he is? And she said, well, uh, yeah, I, I think I do know which one you're talking about. And so day five, she gets another rose and she goes and tracks down Jack. And she says, uh, hey, what's the deal with these roses? And he said, well, I, I noticed you and I just, uh, I would like to ask you out on a date. And so she agrees. And uh, so she assumes that now that they've got this date planned that the roses will stop, but they didn't. Day five, she gets another rose. Day six, she, go, she gets another rose. They've gone on now in a few weeks. They've gone on a few dates, still getting roses every single day. Their relationship begins to bloom to the point that he asks Mary uh, to marry him. And she says yes. And she thinks now that they're engaged, surely that the roses will stop. And even after their, engagements, uh, after their engagement, every single day, she was still receiving a rose. Uh, they end up getting married, and uh, even on their honeymoon, every day of the honeymoon, one red rose every single day. And on returning back from the honeymoon, she thinks, well, now, now that we're married, now that we're back from the honeymoon, uh, I'm, I, I'll be fine if the roses stop. That's what she's thinking. But their first day back from the honeymoon, there's delivered to her a, a, a single rose. And all throughout their married life, every single day, she received a red rose. Even to the point as they grow older and uh, Jack Benny finally, uh, finally uh, passes away. And uh, uh, a day or two then after, the, uh, after his passing and after the funeral, she's still receiving uh, a, a red single rose. And she goes to the florist and she says to the florist, uh, uh, look, I understand you guys may not have heard this, but um, my husband passed away. And so I just wanted to make you aware of that and, you know, that the, the, the roses uh, could stop. And, and the florist looked back at Mary and said, uh, well, you don't understand, do you? And she said, what? 
And he said, he made arrangements before his death for you to receive a rose every day of the rest of your life. And so that's exactly what will happen. You'll receive a rose every day for the rest of your life and it'll be from your husband. Now, why do I tell that story? Just to make all of us husbands look uh, a little less loving? Not really. Um, although I, I put myself in that position, that's, that's a tough story to, to live up to. But why do I share that? Why does that story stand out so much? I think it stands out a lot because of our current day definition of love. We look at love as something that kind of comes and goes. We look at love as something, well, today I feel it and tomorrow I don't feel it. We look at, at love and, and the thought of a love lasting decades, the thought of a, a couple being passionate for one another over decades and decades and decades and even beyond death. That thought to us doesn't sometimes uh, make sense in our human mind, in our carnal understanding, but that's the kind of abounding love that Paul is talking about. It's a, it's a love that doesn't die out. Now listen, uh, even Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, he said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. There are people in uh, the church, there are people who knew what it was like to love God, but because of the cares of the world, because things start to go on in life, because there starts to be questions, because there starts to be doubts, because there starts to be fear, what can happen is we can let our level of love start to die out. Matter of fact, I Googled um, sign. I just Googled this just to see what would pop up. Signs that you're falling out of love. Now, I have a problem with the premise of the question because I don't think love is something you fall in and out of. I think love is a choice. And all the married people and all the people everywhere just said amen. Amen. Right there in your home, you'll do yourself a favor if you'll amen on that, even if you're sitting next to your spouse right there at home. Love is a choice. It's not something you fall in and out of. But I Googled it for fun. Signs that you have fallen out of love. And the first story that popped up on a website called insider.com, don't know anything about the website, I'm not promoting it, but whatever. Uh, the one story I looked at on that website, and instead of it just saying signs uh, that you're falling out of love, it added this word, scientific signs that you're falling out of love. And then I, I felt like, well, I, now I'm, I really need to lean into this because you gotta, you gotta trust the science. So this was scientific reason, re, uh, signs that you've fallen out of love. I pulled out just uh, a handful of them. I wanna read them to you because though this is talking about a romantic uh, love, it's talking about uh, you know, this culture's definition of, of a romantic love, it's amazing to me how many of these parallel our love for Christ. It's amazing to me when I think about Paul praying for the church and saying, I pray that your love will abound. I pray that your love, your love for God will grow because if it's not growing, I'm afraid that it's fading. Listen to what some of the signs that you've fallen out of love. It says their imperfections start to stand out. That's one of the signs you're falling out of love. Their imperfections start to stand out. And though God is perfect, and I think most of us probably agree with that, uh, no matter where you are on your scale, on, on the scale of loving God, I think most of us agree that God is perfect, that God does not have imperfections. But boy, what can happen is when our, start, when our love for God starts to grow cold, we start to look at the imperfections of his church. And we start to blame this person. We start, well, they, they don't look at me right, and they don't talk to me right, and they didn't call me, and this, they didn't uh, you know, preach this a certain way and they didn't do this. And, and we start to look at all these imperfections because our love for God is growing 
cold. Uh, the second one that, that, that I pull out of here, um, signs that you're uh, falling out of love. Communication diminishes. Communication diminishes. And man, if that's not a sign of our love for God growing cold, all of a sudden I don't have time for prayer anymore. All of a sudden I don't have time to, to just sit in his presence and hear God's voice and read his word and see what God is speaking to me. I don't have time anymore just to lift my hands and worship and appreciate his presence. Um, another sign was this. You develop a wondering eye. Uh, you, and I thought about a, I thought about a married couple, and I thought about a, a husband, maybe you know, beginning to look at at other women, and, and obviously that's what it's talking about, and that's a sign that you're you're falling out of love. But you know what? I thought about it in a spiritual context. That many of us, that can happen. We, when we're passionately in love with God, it's amazing how sin doesn't even appeal to us. I mean, when we're passionate for God, it's amazing how many things can be going on out there. There can be options. There can be temptations. And we're, man, half the time we're not even noticing. We're not even looking because our eyes are set on him. But when we start to fall out of love for God, and you hear what I'm saying, when we, when we, when we don't protect our love for God, We'll start to notice all kinds. Our eyes will start to wonder. We'll start to be tempted by things that we weren't even tempted by at other points in our life. Another sign was this. Your priorities change. But you can tell a lot by what's important to you. You can tell a lot by what you make time for. You can, you can diagnose your current level of love for God by what's important to you. Another one is this. You feel trapped. And I thought about that like this. I think sometimes in our relationship with God, we can go from instead of focusing on all that God has done for us, we start to focus instead on what God won't let us do. And we all of a sudden start to feel trapped, not because we're trapped, but because we've let our love for God grow cold. And then the final one that I pulled out of that article said this, it said, you stop thinking about a future together. Again, talking about a marital relationship, talking about a romantic relationship, you stop thinking about a future together. But I thought about it in the context of our spiritual passion and love for God. And I thought about this, when I take my eyes off the finish line, when I'm no longer thinking that, God, I want this thing to last. I, I want my relationship with you to grow. I want to be more uh, intimate with you. I want to know you more. I want to be more powerfully connected to you in the future than I am today. I want to finish this thing outright. That needs to be our mindset, and that will be our mindset when we are protecting our love for God. It's amazing how those things can relate Though an article is about a, a, a romantic relationship, it's amazing how many of those relate to our relationship with God. And it's important that we keep our love for God, that we keep God a priority in our life, that we keep God the Father in our life, right? That we would keep that relationship with him as our Father, that he would stay our focus, that he would stay our freedom, that he would stay our future. And so our love and our passion for God is one of the ways that we will find the finish line. But then Paul also mentions uh, something else in verse 10. It's kind of a result of when the love is in the right place. Look at verse 10. He says, I want your love to be in the right place so that you may be able to discern what is best and that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that you'd be able to discern what is best. Uh, one of the other ways that we will find the finish line in our life, according to this verse, is we would have a discernment that is activated. A discernment that is active, a discernment that's moving, a discernment that's working. Um, and here's the thing about discernment. Kind of the more 
Desperate the times are, the more important discernment is. And Paul is writing this to a church who is in the middle of, of facing some different concerns and some different issues, and he's, he knows the importance of priority. He knows the importance of discerning what's best, and he starts to uh, describe that, and he starts to pray that this would be the case, that I want your love uh, to be on point. I want you to have a love that's abounding, so that because if you do, you'll have discernment. And discernment is so important in these times. Really, that discernment, that, that ability to distinguish good and best, that, that it's a sign of maturity. If you think about uh, uh, like babies when they're first learning how to talk uh, and they may call different uh, things by different, you know, uh, maybe, maybe they see a, a, a little dog and you're trying to teach them and you're saying doggy doggy and they finally get that word down some version of doggy and then as a little baby just learned how to talk they got that word doggy down and you'll drive by and there'll be some cows in the field and that little baby won't say cow that baby will say doggy and then you drive by and there's a goat and doggy and then there's a cat and the little kid will say doggy because they just haven't learned how to discern but at some point there would be a level of maturity when now I can distinguish between a cow, between a goat, between a dog. I can remember when my kids were little, especially one of my sons, uh, when he was younger, just learning how to talk, he just used uh, sound effects more than he used words. Everything was just like, we just we had to guess what he was saying by this various sound effects and and uh, I remember that the sound effect for a car was just more like vroom vroom or something you know it was just stuff like that like and that's how he would describe a car so if you well, what's this he'd go vroom vroom well, well kind of, sort of I mean it's a car but okay um, but then as he grew it's amazing the discernment not I mean it wouldn't have mattered, mattered what model of toy car. It wouldn't have mattered what you're pointing to as we're driving down the road. They were all called vroom, vroom until maturity kicked in, until growth kicked in. And then I can remember now uh, a, a time in, in, a, in, in a car driving down the road and, and my son calls out and goes, oh man, look. And he's saying models and makes of cars I've never even heard of before. And he's spotting and he's noticing, oh man, look at that one. That would be awesome. i like to have one of those someday. I, like, I don't even know what that is, but me too. It looks awesome. And that is a sign of maturity. And the same would be in our spiritual life. A sign of maturity, a sign that I'm growing in my love, a sign that my love is abounding is this gift called discernment. Being able to distinguish um, not even just right and wrong. I mean, that's, that's elementary. That's basic. And if that's all our discernment is, if that's all we do, just, well, this is right and this is wrong. If that's all we rely on, if that's all we think our discernment is there for, we're missing a big component of this. That's why Paul says, I'm praying that your love abounds so much that you have a discernment activated in you, a discernment that helps you determine not just right and wrong, but a discernment that determines what's best. He says, when you start to understand what's best, that's when you have a chance of purity. That's when you have a chance to be pure, to be sincere. And that, that word that gets translated pure, he says that you may be pure and blameless. Um, it's a word in the, in the Greek that literally means without mixture. It means unmixed, without wax. Eilacrins um, is the Greek name. And, and it was a word that would be used for um, a lot in, in pottery. And people would make uh, porcelain 
uh, vases and stuff like that. And a lot of times what uh, people would do is they made pottery as if it cracked in the making process or if something happened, they would fill in the cracks with wax and then they would, they would try to cover over it so that you couldn't tell. And so if a, uh, if a merchant was trying to say, hey, look, the pottery that I'm selling uh, is, is without uh, wax. If they were trying to say it was pure, that's, that's the word that they would use. They would say, hey, this is, this is without wax. This is without any hiding of any cracks. And that word also would mean this because they would take that pottery and they would hold it up like this against the light. Because when you would hold that pottery up against the light, the sun would shine through the cracks. And Paul's saying, I'm, I'm praying that you'll have discernment, that you could hold your life up to the light of God. And even when you compare it to who God is, you'll find that your life doesn't have cracks. Do you know what we do instead? We hold our life up against darkness. We put our, our actions up against the actions of, the, of, of darkness, of people who aren't even trying to live for God. And we go, well, at least I'm better than him. And at least I'm better than her. And I mean, look at the people on, on this uh, you know, in, in this environment. Look at the people on this show and look at the people, how they act. And I mean, I don't act like that. So therefore, I guess I must be okay. And if that is our mentality, if we're just going right and wrong, we're going to have lives that have all kinds of cracks. Paul says, instead of that, real love, real passion for God will result in not just a, not just a mindset of right and wrong, but a, a desire for what's best that my life could be held up to the light of the Son of God. And there's nothing there that's hidden. There's no cracks that I'm covering up. There's no secrets that I'm trying to cover up. We need to ask ourselves, it's, it's not about like, like I can look at it and go, okay, I'm gonna choose what's not bad. That's, that's what I'll do. Like I, I see the bad stuff and then I see the not bad stuff. I'll just choose the not bad. What Paul's praying for the church, what we should pray for ourselves is this. I don't want to choose just the not bad, but I want to choose what's best. You want to talk about purity. You want to talk about righteousness. You want to talk about a way to live, choosing what's best. What's best in my communication? What's, I know what I could get by with, but what's best? What's the best way that I can communicate that will portray who Jesus Christ is in my life? What's the best things that I could say? What's the things that I, if, if I would say it this way, if I would use this language, it's gonna, it's gonna create a, a different um, a reputation for me. It's gonna put a different light on who Christ is in my life, in my, in my entertainment and what I'm watching, what I'm listening to. It's not about, but what's, what's best in my life? It's not about, uh, well, it's, it's not bad or is it bad, but what's best? My interactions with people, what's the best way to deal with people in my thought life? What's the best thoughts I could think at work, in my business dealings? What's the best that I can do? And I'll tell you this, church, the greatest enemy to the best in your life is not what you think it is. Because a lot of us think that the greatest enemy to the best is the worst. We think, well, yeah, that's the opposite, right? The best and the worst. I got to stay away from the worst and it'll get me to the best. No, the greatest enemy of the best in your life is good. Good enough. Well, that's a trap that so many Christians have fallen into. Good enough. It's a trap that has caused so many to trip and fall and miss the finish line. Because instead of looking for what's best, we start looking for what's good enough.
We go from thinking, what can I do that's the best? And we start thinking, what can I just get by with? A love that's overflowing, a love that abounds. One of the great side effects of that kind of love is a discernment that activates the best in my life. I read about in, um, it was actually 1968, the Olympics were going on and it was October 20th and it was now about 7 p.m. And the marathon uh, had happened that day there at the Olympic Stadium in Mexico City. It was cool and it was dark and the last of the marathon runners had finished uh, the race and uh, they were now getting some medical treatment and getting looked at. And uh, the, the winner of the race, he had finished the race over an hour ago. Was, uh, uh, he, he came across the finish line, a, a runner from Ethiopia. He came across the finish line looking as fresh as he did when he started the race. But now as the f- few fans left started to exit the, the building, uh, they began to hear whistles and, and sirens at the entrance gate of the stadium. And so everybody turned that direction. And as they turned that direction to the, in, uh, to the entrance gate of that stadium, they noticed one lone runner walking into the stadium. He was the last person in the race. His name was John Stephen Aquari. He, was from, he wore the colors of Tanzania. And he entered the stadium and begins to make his final uh, steps of that race. It's 400 meters around the track. It was the final 400 meters of the race. He hobbles. His, his leg is bandaged, bandaged up. It's, it's uh, really greatly injured from a fall he had, he had taken earlier in the race. And as he hobbled across that track, the crowd starts to stand and cheer and clap for him as if he's winning the race, even though he's, he's coming in last. And... As the crowd clapped and cheered, he finally hobbled across the finish line. And I'm sure some of the fans thought, why did he do that? Here he is hurt. Here he is bruised. Here he is bleeding. He's bandaged. Why did he bother to run across? And why why didn't he quit? And a matter of fact, one of the um, reporters grabbed John Stephen Aquari right after he finished. And that reporter asked him that very question. They said, with you being hurt and with you being bandaged and and bleeding, why didn't you quit? And this is what he said. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And I'm speaking to somebody right now who is on the verge of quitting. I'm speaking to somebody right now that was ready to give up, that was so weary, that was so tired. And I want you to know this, that Jesus did not do what he did in your life so just so that you could start. He didn't save you just so you could start. He didn't call you just so you could start. He didn't heal you. He didn't set you free just so you could start a race. He didn't uh, deliver you. He doesn't dwell in you. He didn't give you peace and purpose just so you could start. No, he did this so that you could finish. God has his eyes on your finish line. It's time that we get our eyes on the finish line as well. And listen, I know, I know that somebody that's hearing me right now is tired and wounded and broken and discouraged. But I want you to know, he who started a work in you, he'll finish it. It's our job to make sure that our love 
is abounding, that our love is overflowing, that we're loving God, it abounds more and more, and that as our love for him grows, that we'll have a discernment to choose what's best in our life. I'm going to pray for you that that would be the case. If you're outside of relationship with God, take this moment right now to make a commitment to Christ. If you need strength right now, if you need prayer right now, go ahead and and, and make a call and and let someone uh, come alongside you and pray for you. But we're going to pray right now, and I'm going to pray for each and every one of you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your presence to be everything that we need. I thank you, God, for finishers. I thank you, God, that you'll just let something well up within us that we'll understand how important it is for us to finish this race. And I pray, God, for a newfound love for you. And I pray for a discernment that would be straight from heaven, that would fill our lives. And we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. What a beautiful and encouraging word we heard this morning from Pastor Johnny. If you would like to access this message or any of our messages, you can find these on our archive page at our website. The address is faithassembly.org forward slash sermons. If you made a commitment to Christ this morning, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. We'd love to get to you some very valuable and important information. This information will help you start your spiritual journey the right way. The best way that we can get this information to you is by texting it to you. So wherever you're at watching this, if you would text your full name to the phone number that you see on the screen, 321-204-1011, full name to 321-204-1011, we will get the information to you immediately. As Pastor Estani and Pastor Jason mentioned earlier, we are here to help you. And so if you need help in a practical way, groceries or prayer, whatever you need, please feel free to reach out to us. You can do so by going to our website, faithassembly.org forward slash coronavirus. That landing page has an area there where you could fill out a quick form. We will respond to whatever the need is immediately with you. Also, on the other side of this, if you are in a position that you're able to give in a practical way to help with this outreach, there's an opportunity for you there to give as well. And now, If you'll stay tuned with us, our Kids Way Ministry has a beautiful program set up for our kids.